In episode 54 of Design EDU Today, Mi-Yoon Kim, Assistant Professor of Communication Design at Texas State University, joins us to share her own questions about teaching interactive design. The questions Mi-Yoon suggested led to an in-depth conversation about non-traditional ways of introducing coding concepts, such as computer games, to make learning languages like HTML, CSS, and much easier for graphic designers. Miyoon also shares how she teaches app, user experience, and responsive web design throughout and across three different courses. Finally, the conversation wraps up with a discussion about dynamic data visualization versus static data visualization and if it's an appropriate um, subject for undergraduate students. Welcome to Design EDU Today, the podcast series discussing what is necessary to be a successful designer in a contemporary screen-based interactive world. I am your host, Gary Rosance, Assistant Professor of Graphic Design at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Today's guest is Miyoon Kim. Miyoon is an Assistant Professor of Communication Design at Texas State University. Her ongoing research is an interdisciplinary project utilizing interactive storytelling and screen-based design work. She recently got awarded as a primary investigator an art commission grant from the city of San Marcos to create an interactive mobile app design called Mermaid Tales. She has been recognized from numerous national and international design organizations, including the 2015 EUM Design Connect, organized by ICOD, the International Council of Design, in Wanghoon, Korea. Also, user-centered design at AIGA Design Educators Community Conference in Los Angeles in 2017. And she was awarded a fellowship from IO Festival in 2014. She has also been recognized by the annual Digital Art um, Interaction and Information Festival in Minneapolis. She has worked in the Permanent Collection at Purdue University, West Lafayette, Indiana, and the Denmark Poster Museum. Welcome, Miyun. Hi, Gary. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. So before we start, I, I want to let the listeners know that I approached the questions in this episode a lot more, a lot differently than I did in the past. Uh, so following your suggestion, I'm using questions that were important to you and your teaching practice. So I'm hoping this approach will steer the conversation away from the previous episodes where it's been like what I think is relevant to interactive design education and makes this more, you know, kind of what all of you listeners think is uh, relevant to um to your teaching practice so um with that said the one thing i wanted to preface is uh, in many of these questions the word coding comes up and i just wanted to let ask you if you can personally define what you mean by coding so when you know we get into the context of the questions everybody will know like oh okay she means all kinds of programming languages, or she's only talking about HTML and CSS, or, or whatever it is. Mm, yeah. Um, what I mean by coding is any computer software language, whether it's HTML, CSS, or processing Java language, or JavaScripts. It doesn't matter what language that is. The coding, I define that as all computer software language. Okay. Perfect. So then to jump into the questions, what would be the most effective way to introduce design students large, you know, which are all largely contained within art programs to this computational concept? Or, you know, to put it another way, how do we begin to bridge the gap between coding and design mm -hmm. in a more intuitive way for the students? 
Well, I often think about the questions and how can we balance computational thinking and design thinking, which lead to a left brain thinking and yes. right brain thinking. And of course, somebody could really argue, is coding truly left brain thinking? And that's also really good questions. And of course, our brain doesn't function like one brain goes on vacation and the other one works. And they both work uh, simultaneously on any task we do. Um, it's a matter of which brain is more dominant than the other when we are involved with certain tasks. And um, I read a book a while ago uh, called A Whole New Mind yep. by Daniel Pink. And he also emphasizes that a left hemisphere handles logic, sequence, detail, and analysis. And the right hemisphere takes care of emotional expressions, context, and the big picture. So definitely there's a truth to that. The left hemisphere contributes con uh, computational thinking, and it can best be related to um, writing software or mm -hmm. instructions. On the other hand, the right hemisphere contributes design thinking, and it attempts to understand the intent or problem before looking at any solutions. So, for instance, let's say we have to move 10 boxes from one place to the other. And computational thinkers think about how big each box is and how heavy they are and what's the best route to move those boxes. But the design thinkers would think, why do we need to do that in the first place? <laughs> so I often tell my students when they have to design and code at the same time, Design brain has to lead the coding brain and they need to see the intents of the design and the big picture first. So let yeah. me go back to your original questions. Okay. How, can we, how can we bridge the gap? Um, I have found people uh, who play video games seems mm -hmm. to be better at understanding how computers think while more accurately operates. And as much as I don't want to necessarily admit that, a video game seems to contribute to develop skills like computations, problem solving, and visual perceptions. And also, there is another uh, exercise called conditional drawings. You can find it on conditionaldesign.org. And it's basically um, analog way of playing a game with a pen and paper based on rule as constraint. So we have to use only logic as a tool and use rule as constraint and avoid arbitrary randomness. And this kind of exercise help teaching sequence, logic, and following directions, which lead to computational thinking. That's, all right, so that is interesting because I've never, ever, ever <laughs> thought of this idea of coding and design in a, in a level like that. So mm -hmm. to give you an example, when I think of design and coding, I think of the, the coding is the medium, as in the coding is literally like paper and ink and the design students need to understand how the coding works in order to be able to produce their designs right but you're thinking of it in a much more in-depth way of like i would um how did you come about thinking about that i mean <laughs> Um, it's from my experiences. I mean, when I teach students, I certainly witness their struggles. It's awkward transitions after design. Okay, it's time to code. And a lot of students, it doesn't come naturally for them. Mm -hmm. It's, it's definitely, I see the shift between, you know, like 
from like right brain to left brain, it's not as intuitive to some students. And I definitely see the struggles and trying to help to, you know, I try to help them. And I also trying to see how we can change or improve those course structure. So it's more adaptable for students. Yeah. No, and that's and that's a really good and unique way to view that whole thing because we all struggle with teaching students coding, whatever kind of coding it is, design students coding. Right. So my approach is to just like, oh well, suck it up. You have to learn it and this is gonna be this is gonna be hard. Um yep. but and you have to work through it. But you're like going mm-hmm. like at a foundational level saying, No, Let's make this easier for them to learn mm. by like going to the run, you know, going all the way down to like video game logic is similar to. <laughs> it, yeah. it actually is. I mean, sometimes I tell students like, hey, you know, I almost have a required students to play video game for my interactive classes because it helped them to think computation thinking. Yeah. And that's why I'm so glad that you submitted these questions because I, this is something that I never would have a line of questioning. I never would have (laughs) thought of on my own because that's just not what I've ever, that's not how I've approached that problem. But I love that idea of the foundational level thinking of just making it easier for everybody. Yeah. The conditional drawing, you should check it out. It really, it really helps too. I'll send you the link. All right. Perfect. Yeah. So, uh, so, my, so the next question is, how might we create the balance uh, between, the, you know, produce a strong visual designer uh, mm. with competent feasibility skills with coding? What is, what's your personal balance? <laughs> I think introducing computational concept earlier mm-hmm. in design program would be very helpful. I think it should start from the foundation level. Um. And also, um, there's a weekend event called Hackathon at yes. Texas State. And my colleague, Grayson Lawrence, organizes the event every spring with the design students and computer science students to solve real-life problems together. And I see events like that can easily be a class that's interdisciplinary. Mm-hmm. And these kind of collaborations should happen more in our field. Okay, so have you personally, I don't, I can't, I don't remember how long you've been at Texas State, but um, have you actually participated in one of those? Yeah, I did, I did participate this spring and I always wanted to try and how a design student could work with the computer science student and they really work very well and they they approach same problem from different perspectives mm-hmm. and um they create they come up with these great solutions with pretty feasible um outcome and that's that's really amazing process to see it only is weekend two-day events mm-hmm. but i i totally see that as a class um can you like briefly like describe the well not briefly you can take all afternoon if you want <laughs> um but can you describe you know like like maybe like what the like the their their prompt is like make this and then you mm. know just kind of describe like what they go th- like the can you just give us like an overview of like how it works over those couple of days this past spring the their problem they have to solve was how we can make Austin to be a more um, desirable city. Mm-hmm. So we came up with all kinds of Aust- problem in Austin. So some of the city of Austin people came to school to explain what their current problems are. And, you know, a lot of, of course, uh, relate to traffics. Mm-hmm. So we team up with two design students and two computer science students and they team up together and they come up with this, um, they narrow it down all the design uh, city problems they have 
And they come up with, you know, what's their challenge and what's their goal and what, what we can do about it. And there are some sprint questions involved. And they have to create like a map, like user flows. And they also create empathy maps and scenario maps. And also kind of come up with all the big idea that's not feasible at all. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then they go through the designers, think about the design process and how um, they come up with the wireframes and digital sketches. And, and the last, last day, um, the computer science actually make um, um, the digital uh, mockups. Mm-hmm. But it's, um, so it's two-day events. So it's pretty quick. But by working um, between design students and computer science students, they really learn how to collaborate and how to uh, create a team to solve one same problems. And I think it's really um, good collaborations. They have a very different ways of thinking, yeah. I found. Yeah. And I think that's an elegant way to to get over the one problem is, you know, how do you, there is that, there is that natural um, symbiotic relationship between design and, and development or design and coding, however you want to say the words, um, mm-hmm. and, and I in computer science departments. But like, how do you get a class to happen like at the same time? And yeah, and, and so this is just uh, the, the 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 weekend hackathon is a yeah. perfect way to like, get rid of get over all the logistical hurdles about getting getting everybody together at the same time. Right. Right. It's, I see this could be a class. Mm -hmm. What is the structure of your interactive courses at Texas State University? Um, Mm -hmm. From what I, from what I tell you, you've got an interactive uh, one and two. One and two. And and then you've got uh, web design and interactive three. Wait, I'll let you go ahead and explain it all. At Texas State, um, interactive one and two are like web design one and two. And Web Interactive 3 is a mobile app design. So Interactive 1 and 2, in both classes, there are three phases, user research and design and coding. I believe that each phase can easily be its own class. Mm -hmm. Uh, The ratio per each phase, I think it's probably like 3-3-4 ratio currently. But I would like to see um, three, four, three ratio, give more focus on design portion. But at the same time, I understand sometimes teaching and learning code is like all or none situation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for instance, we cannot teach only one thing to make responsive website. There are a lot of coding and design that needs to be taught in order to make responsive site. Um, but I think in design program, three four three ratio would be ideal between those three phases. Um, so interactive one, we teach HTML, CSS, but not media query and no JavaScript. And interactive two, we teach media query to make a responsive website, but no JavaScript. So if student wants to add JavaScript, they can, but we don't we can't we don't have time to go that far. Yeah. And interactive three is mobile app design class for seniors. So we don't code. It's all about user research, user in, user experience, mm-hmm. and user interface design course. So then in interactive one and two, mm-hmm. where do they learn the visual design? You know, they talk about usability and visual design. Yeah. I mean, that's why I'm saying I would like to keep more design to be more focused. We do teach design in the class, but not as much as I would like it to be. And um, some of type classes actually have adopted like how to design for web. Okay. And students who take Interactive 1 and 2, they already should have that class before they come to Interactive 1 and 2. So they learn design part from other class. And also, we do, we do teach design portion as well. Mm-hmm. It's just, it just so 
busy and very, very full class, um, I would like to incorporate more. I, I mean, we should focus more on design. That's for sure. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the problem that every um, yeah. design program is facing. But um, we only have a web design one, <laughs> and then we have our app design. So I've pretty much done away with most... I've done away with the idea of students being able to effectively produce a um, HTML and CS with with HTML and CSS a really good you know design. Mm-hmm. So instead, I just teach them like, okay, this is H- I give them a bunch of exercises. Here is your introduction to HTML and CSS, and then we focus on visual design, but using prototyping tools like InVision or Adobe mm-hmm. XD. So why have why have you chosen to do the opposite? You've chosen to, you know, go into the HTML and CSS and like that's more important than not more important, but like why'd you pick the balance that you did? Mm. Well, definitely the structure of interactive design um, current one mm-hmm. I would like to definitely see more design aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, this HTML, CSS, we do teach them, but we also, the school has this free, uh, well, probably not free, but lynda.com access yes. to all faculty and students. So we also encourage them to learn a lot from their part. So some of the exercises are coming from like lynda.com. You have to watch this, 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 and you have to do these exercises so that we have more time talking about design in classroom. But of course, to build a website ground up, it's everybody has to understand very, very basic things. Mm-hmm. And not everyone understands exactly the same way from just learning from lynda.com. So, um, I, we have to go over a lot in classroom and to make sure that everyone is on the same page. Um, so, I mean, design portion, definitely I see needs to be more emphasized, but coding takes a lot. It takes over a lot of, you know, design parts, which probably needs to be addressed yeah, and, and so I guess, I guess the better way to ask the question is like, so why is it more important? Maybe not more important. That's not the right way to say it. But okay, point blank, why is it so important that the students learn, the design mm-hmm. students learn coding, instead of just hopping in and like designing static mockups? Nowadays, designers should. I mean, let's say they are going to, they're probably not everyone is going to be like a web developer and probably a lot of them are going to be web designer. Um, But they still need to use the same language as a developer. They should be able to know what's going on behind the scene. So when they produce, it's, you know, it's in their head. So they know how media query works and they know how HTML, CSS works. That way, when they design, it's not just very arbitrary thing. So visual mockup is important, but they need to know what's going on behind the scene. So can you talk a little bit about how you structure the mobile app design course? Mobile app um, is purely user research, user experience, and user interface design class. Mm-hmm. And I'll be teaching that with one of my um, grant projects I'll be working on. Um, so it's creating an app. So we don't code. It's all about this research, and then they design. And after they finish design, they do testing through InVision. Mm-hmm. And uh, we go back um Usual, of course, iteration is necessary. After user testing, they go back and they fix their design, and <clears throat> and then 
update their envisions and then go back user testing again. So basically, it's mobile app design is user research and user testing and UX UI. All right. So the the reason I wanted to ask that question is because I teach a class very similar where you know it's predominantly uh-huh. user research. They do some yep. user testing. And they do a case study at the end about the whole process. The design is not the focus of that course. It's the research and the user testing. And so I was thinking about, at least for us, and I'm assuming it's going to be similar to you, is that that is a senior level class. Right. To me, like, just, you know, thinking about it rationally, that course should almost be first because the user research, the user testing can be applied to basically anything and everything that they do within design. Does that make sense when you stop and think about it? <laughs> yeah, actually it does. I, it I, does make sense. Yes. I, okay. Never thought about that way though. No. And, and I didn't do it until, you know, very recently when I was just looking at it, it's like, I wish my students had approached their beginning typography courses <laughs> with mm, this mm, information mm. because, you know, it maybe would mean for more, meaningful, more contextual approach to their design choices. Yeah, it's something that, yeah, I can definitely bring that up in our curriculum meeting. Um, Yeah, that's very good suggestions. Yeah, and it's just some that occurred to me, and those are are fundamentals. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah, so uh, some other of the questions that you, you, you getting back to the ones that you submitted um, or suggested, I mean, uh, what are some limitations or drawbacks when teaching interactive design and coding to a class full of students? And mm. and, and when, like, how many students do you have? I mean, I could have anywhere from, I usually average around 16, but I could have as many uh, as 18. Yeah, I think it's Interact 1 and 2 is about 16. Okay. But this semester, Interactive 2, I have a 12. Okay. So it's any 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 time any you know any number in between. Yeah. Um, I found the interactive design classes. I mean, it's just full of information, mm-hmm. so it has to be very structured. And I always make announcement in the in class, like, okay, we are gonna spend next two weeks to do our user testing, user research, mm-hmm. and we are going to do next three weeks to design. So we have to like make, I have to make sure that everybody is on track and on, on like right timeline and the limitation or drawback, um, I think solid wireframes, honestly. I mean, we use wireframes for user testing purposes mm-hmm. and everyone start with low fidelity wireframe with, with um, boxes for images. Mm-hmm. and lines for text on grid paper. Mm-hmm. And um, after user testing, everybody replaced the boxes with the images and lined with the contents. Mm-hmm. And then I often find everybody's design looks the same. Regardless, they all have a different personas. Mm-hmm. So to solve these problems, um, I think iterations probably is mm-hmm. the way after first user testing with low fidelity wireframe, student has to make change on their design. After second user testing with high fidelity wireframe, they make another round of change. And after like third testing with actual design design, they make changes again. But in classroom, we often don't have time to go back again and again. Mm -hmm. Um, It's ideal scenario. And also students seems to be like really, really stick to grid and yeah. they never, they never think that, you know, they can break the grid in some, some way. So I think that also limits what they can do and keep most of design student work look the same. Their design work kind of look the same at the end. Yeah, I, I have to follow up with this one then. How are you okay? Because we have the I have the polar opposite program. I mean, uh, I have the most polar opposite problem with my students with the grid. They don't understand it or follow it at all. And so, oh. and so I'm like literally looking at some of their designs, and I'm like, 
this is going to this is just literally not going to work you know when <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm watching i'm like working xd or sketch and i'm they're you know they're not using a grid and then and i'm looking like it ha and so how do you get them to adhere to a grid because i'd rather have that problem <laughs> oh well i usually give them grid like 16 yeah. 16 column grid mm -hmm. and i introduce them how to create grid in illustrator yeah so they can change if they need to um, but I encourage them to actually not, I don't know, it might be wrong, but I encourage them to come up with a two different um, layouts mm -hmm. with, with the same grid. And that way, not every page is exactly the same, mm -hmm. just replacing the contents and images. I encourage them to like, they, I mean, first, first wireframe, of course, they keep the grid. Mm -hmm. But once they they're developed, their designs, you know, gets to be more advanced. I encourage them to take out the grid, and see the design with their eyes. Yeah. And see what's the optical balance for their eyes, and how they can introduce more design elements, not mm -hmm. so limited within those grid. Um, I think that's. That's from my experience. That's that was the only way that keeps everybody's um, work somewhat different. Okay, and you know that's just so frustrating. That so you 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 mentioned you know like you have them design like two different layouts, one and then they like have to do something like using the same grid, but then do like two totally different layouts, but using the same grid. Uh -huh. And that is just so frustrating because in, when it comes to like print design we do that yeah. all throughout the program there's like it's just that it's like iteration upon iteration upon iteration over four years but yeah. we've got two classes you've got three mm -hmm. to, to yeah. teach interactive design and there's no time for that iteration where like you know where the i think the true learning happens is when you do that iteration whereas you know yeah. right now we're just like scrambling to teach the basics and we hope they figure out the the rest on yeah their own. yeah 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 so that's totally i i wish we had more time to do that those little yeah projects i mean they learn they learn before they get to interactive one and two and three classes from all the print design classes yeah they learn about like how to use a grid how you use type but when they have to design for screen all of a sudden they forget everything about it yeah yeah, they forget, and, and the even bigger than the grid is their typography. I mean, I don't mm. know if you've noticed it that, but they like they do not transfer their print design typography principles to screen right. design. It's just right. totally thrown out the window, and I'm like, why are you centering yeah. a body copy? Yeah, so <laughs> we definitely need, um, I tried to, I used to teach yeah. web typography, I think web typography should be more emphasized for sure. Yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> well, yeah. this is a good segue into your, into your next question is, um, what is the future of design programs as they relate to teaching interactive and coded media? Mm -hmm. So how do you see departments and programs evolving? Well, of course, I see technology plays a large role in design program. I think more and more design program is going to be interdisciplinary mm -hmm. because design affects every aspect of life and it's already happening. And I think interdisciplinary courses within design program could be its own degree. So design students learn coding, but, <clears throat> but at the same time, they get to work with, for instance, like computer science students. Mm -hmm. So computer science students take heavy coding, but they also learn some aspects of design. So, so let's say this ideal center for interdisciplinary program I'm talking about, mm -hmm. this, this will be a um, place where any scholars or expert can find every possible resources we need in order to create any pro products or service 
Um, I think probably since in the future, you know, there will be, you know, technology is going to be a big portions in our future. More and more program should be more like interdisciplinary. It cannot be. It's just separate. Yeah. Um, identity. No, and so just to follow up, like I'm actually, I've thought that for a while too. I just can't believe yeah. that a university hasn't offered a degree where, like, you know, they like students spend, depending on like what kind of balance you want to give it between design and development. But how come like IT, like computer science departments and design departments haven't like paired up together? Like, you're going to get a degree that's mm-hmm. that's like produces the front-end designer that either it's development-heavy or it's Mm -hmm. design-heavy, depending on what department, you know, what's, you know, what track this, I can't, I just can't believe nobody's done it. Yeah, I think, I see a couple of universities has started this interdisciplinary program. Mm -hmm. There is one, yeah, there is one Arizona State. Um, I think there is another one somewhere in New England. I've heard but I don't, I, so I have looked into their program mm-hmm. and their program is more like they are crossing the discipline between the art. So not necessarily like between like design and computer science. Mm-hmm. It was more about, let's say design and sculpture kind of thing. Hmm. So, but I think, I mean, I have been doing a lot of interdisciplinary projects and I'm always looking for a good team. Yeah. And it's not it's not easy as you think. No, it's it's really hard and that's It's it surprising. is really hard. And it's very important. It's impor- very most important and probably crucial steps to make a good team. Yeah. With with various expert. And in order to create any pr- you know products or service bunch of designers are not going to make it far. I need different experts. Yeah, you need diversity. Yeah, I definitely feel that, yeah. And that's the one thing I, I can say from, you know, all these episodes where I've been, of the podcast, where I'm, especially with the the interactive, um, with the professionals, they've all, like, not, there's not a single one of them that I've interviewed that hasn't worked in a team capacity. Even mm. if they were freelance, they were freelancing, working in concert with a bunch of other disciplines. Yes, so, yes. And we, and we don't we don't do anything to replicate that. Hmm. Um. Which is a yeah. Which is a shame. So going back, I mean, just talking a little bit about yourself and your own personal research. So you're kind of approaching interactive design as storytelling, mm-hmm. and. So how does your interactive storytelling lead to teaching the way you teach um, interactive design? My um, current project will start in spring 2018 with Interactive 3, the mobile app design student. Um, I've got a grant for this interdisciplinary project called Mermaid Tales. (laughs) It's, um, It's a mobile app project. Using augmented reality to preserve history of San Marcos in Texas. Mm-hmm. I learned San Marcos, Texas, has a very quirky history, like such as Ralph the like swimming pigs, <laughs> mermaid performers, and submarine underwater theater, underwater clowns, <laughs> theme parks from early 1950s to 80s. And those histories are all gone. The Texas State purchased the park and made it to be an education center. So this project will explore how um, best to incorporate site-specific augmented reality technology to create augmented layer over the physical landscape and architecture of San Marcos. So we are going to create this visual mock-ups app in in the classroom okay can you um describe what like i know you haven't taught it yet you're going to but like what do you envision the the deliverables to be 
Um, I really want to incorporate what augmented reality can be in the future rather than what it has been. Um, I mean, my, of course, I always have a really good vision. <laughs> my problem is always executions. Like, how is it going to really work? Um, I have to talk about city a little bit. There will be like 10, 10 mermaid statues going to be installed this winter. Okay. So what I'm envisioning is when visitors use this app, they visit this um, 10 different mermaid statues like, like scavenger hunt. hunt. Mm-hmm. So when they go these uh, mermaid statues with their phone or mobile devices, they get to see things are not there. It could be um, information about the cities. It could be information about the histories. I okay. haven't come up with all the contents yet. No, but no, that's fine. That. Yeah, actually, the contents part is going to be done by the history department. So in the spring, our plan is to finish the visual mockups. And then we are going to do user testing with the community. And then um, in the fall... We are going to make some changes in design and go around another community service, another uh, user testing with the community, and then the history department is going to add contents. Okay, so that may okay, so that makes that sounds like it'd be a fun project. It's actually like two, three year projects. It's gonna take a while, but it's going to be yeah, it's going to be real life projects. Um, what level of students are working on it now? I mean, like, since if it takes two to three years, are the students going to be mm-hmm. able to see it through through the two to three years, or are they going to unfortunately graduate? <laughs> well, I plan to give them all credit for their part. Um, they're seniors, so they are not going to see it. Um, but hopefully, they download the app and come back to the city. And use their um, design <laughs> with their phone. Yeah. That's the other th- thing that's so frustrating about um, teaching interactive design is it doesn't fit neatly into mm-hmm. semesters. Right, right. Because it's large. The scale is large. Yeah. It's, while, the, while the design portion of it may be small, like, you know, like the initial like push to create the visual may be small, that again iteration revision that right thing gets revised over and over again as content gets added as as it goes right. into development as it goes into user testing so mm-hmm. there's just all that that the students are missing out on just because again interactive design doesn't fit neatly into a semester unfortunately right. yeah. yeah so my plan to actually because they are not going to see the end result mm-hmm. I'm trying to um, see if we can present the projects at South by Southwest. Oh, okay. So in ta- it's going to be 2019 spring in March. Just a, a suggestion that it, it popped into my head. Yeah. Um, that I was, uh, episode I was talking to, I'm blanking on her name right now, but she um, worked at Airbnb. And... Um, the project, and so I was asking her, like, so how do you- she didn't do the designs of Airbnb? Uh. She was she came in after, like, you know, they did their rebrand, and so her job was to like enforce and revise as needed uh. um, the designs as they would go further along in the process. That might be that'd be interesting to like see, like, okay, the seniors kicked it off, mm-hmm. you know, they developed yeah. the work, but then you know when it comes yeah. time to user testing and the project has to come back. You know, there's another class that could then their job is to like work with the existing brand identity, the existing screens, and then make revisions based on whatever comes back from the user testing. Yes, yes, that's that's exactly the way to go. Yeah, so it'd be it'd be really neat to like see like these different pockets of students getting to Mm -hmm. work on this on the course of this entire two year, three year project. Yes, yes. I mean, yeah, the design probably is going to be about a year. Yeah. Uh, one other question, uh, and it's, you know, it's in, in some of your questions, you mentioned like um, data visualization. 
Uh-huh, yes. And you said you had your your students do data visualizations. And so when I think of like data visualizations in the print term, I think of like information graphics. <laughs> but in the web, in interactive design, yeah, it's not static. Right. Um, yeah, it's interactive. And, and so can you describe your... <laughs> okay. Well, my my past previous well past pre my experience in the past with interactive data viz, I have done with the processing before, and it's it's just too much. They have to learn software, and they have to understand the data, and they have to visualize. It's just too much task. So, I as far as the software goes. I probably going to have them to use either Tableau or Story Maps. So no coding is required. Um, in order to use Tableau, you need to be able to use uh, Excel, like Microsoft Excel quite well. But that's pretty much it. And uh, Story Maps, I actually haven't used Story Map yet, but I see this is a, uh, this is a website called Story Maps, and I I see this could be another approach to introduce data viz, but I think there are some limitations. So I'm still debating what software would be a better fit. Um, so as far as software goes, that's my answer. <laughs> um, data is, I mean, teaching data visualization to design students is, is tricky. Mm -hmm. It, it definitely has to be collaborative projects with data scientists, data analysts, and data engineers. So it probably somewhat awkward fit in design program because I've seen data visualization class in science department, like business department and geography department. And sometimes I think like we should all combine them all as one. It's completely interdisciplinary subjects. Yeah, you need every single, I mean, I think that's a problem with just design in general is that we, we're, you can't just be handed the content and expect to do it because to produce and design around it because data visualization is, you really have to have an understanding of the data. Right. Before you can organize it, before you can, um, before you can present it in the, yeah, it's just, you have I, to understand yeah. it. Yeah, I really have, I really emphasize that student has to understand the story, the data, and be able to create their own story. So what do you want to say throughout this data? You have to create this visual narrative so they can talk about through the data, which is the fact. They um, have to talk about the past and what it is now. And ideally, they should be able to predict what they predict and how they can solve their problems. And I, I've been working with the city of Austin for affordable housing. Um, so the topic of this class uh, would be how make of Austin affordable and desirable at the same time, and which is tricky. And I've been looking um, and some open source data about the cities, and I've been getting some data from the city as well. But there was like, there was thousands and thousands of datas. Mm -hmm. And you have to, you know, student has to understand those, the city first, the city planning. So it's, it's a tricky. And this is one of your, your questions that you kind of said, like, so data visualization, it seems like it would be more appropriate for a graduate student level. Yes, it is for graduate class. It is more appropriate, yes. Okay, so so then with, with that said, what could we do on an undergraduate level to just make them aware of it so that, you know, when it comes time to go on, they're not, do you know what I mean? Uh, yes. I actually am doing um, independent study with one of my, my students for this data viz, and she's senior, and we did... Um, with the print first, with this data. And while she's working on this data visualization on print, 
she understands about the data very clearly. And she's already very familiar with what she was trying to say while she's doing a project for prints. And second project was interactive uh, with Tableau. And since she has really good understanding while she was doing the first project, the second project is more about learning the tool. And she knows exactly what she wants to say. So it seems smoother transition from print medium to the interactive with the same topic. So I just kind of noticed where we are with time. So before I let you go, is there anything that you are working on personally that you would like to share or anything you want yeah. to promote? Or? Um, the most immediate events will be, um, I'll be doing spatial augmented reality installation mm. with a digital media artist, Joe Obiera from UT Austin in September, 2018 during the Mermaid Festival in San Marcos, Texas. It's a large, it's night event with a large-scale interactive projections that merge a real and virtual world while allowing the viewer to interact with the 3D objects with using sensor. So I'm sure there will be uh, some, some noises on media about the event. So if anyone listening to this podcast happened to be in Texas, uh, please come by and check it out. All right. So that's all we have time for today on episode 54 of Design EDU Today. I want to thank today's guest, Miyoon Kim, for being so generous with her time. I also want to thank the audience for listening, and I want to thank the Design EDU Today hosting sponsor, DigitalOcean, and the CDN sponsor, Fastly, for making the hosting and distribution of these podcasts possible. I also want to thank the AIGA and the AIGA Design Educators community for their generous support of my research that led to this podcast series. If you like this podcast, consider leaving a review for it in the iTunes store and share it with your colleagues and friends. To discover more about the Design EDU Today podcast and read the session notes and transcripts, visit the show website at designedu.today. To keep up with new show releases and updates about the podcast, visit the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash design edu today, or subscribe to this podcast through the iTunes and Google Play Store. Finally, if you would like to suggest topics for future episodes or give feedback to help improve the show, contact me through the show's email address at hello at designedu.today. Once again, thank you for listening to Design EDU Today.